Bibles, and we will turn to Genesis chapter 27, and we'll be reading verses 1 through to 29. This is the reading of God's word. Now it came about when Isaac was, too, was old and his eyes were too dim to see, that he called his older son Esau and said to him, My son. And he said to him, Here I am. Isaac said, Behold, now I am old, and I do not know the day of my death. Now then, please your gear, your quiver, and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt game for me, and prepare a savory dish for me as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went out to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game, and prepare a savory dish for me, that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock, and bring me two choice young goats from there, and that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. Jacob answered his mother, Rebekah, Behold, Esau my brother is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me, then I will be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice, and go, get them for me. So he went and got them, and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her eldest son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and the bread which she had made to her son Jacob. Then he came to his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Get up. Please sit and eat of my game, that you may bless me. Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have it so quickly, my son? And he said, 
because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to Isaac, his father, and he felt him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, Bring it to me, and I will eat of my son's game, that I may bless you. And he brought it to him, and he ate. He also brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, Please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field, which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be masters, master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. This is the reading of God's word. Now ask the pastor to come and bring the message. As we come to God's word, we need to ask the Lord to bless us. This is a passage that uh, is not a difficult passage, but it is just such a, a passage of deceit. And uh, I, I, I put on the sign outside, um, meet the cheaters or meet the cheaters family. Uh, it sounds sort of like the beginning of, uh, what's that? Um, family feud, where they introduce these two families. And here is a family of cheaters uh, of all four characters in this drama. Well, let's ask the Lord to bless us as we look to his word. Lord God, we bow before you. We ask, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear your word. Give us ears to hear not just in the mind, but in our heart. Open our eyes that we might see the truth of your word. And we pray that you, by your spirit, would awaken us to the truth of your word in such a way that we would desire to conform our lives to Christ Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, it is, like, it is like a soap opera, isn't it? And it, it, it comes in a fascinating way in which we have this picture, and it, it starts off in a very innocent way when it tells us, and it almost arouses our sympathy, when it tells us that Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see. And he calls his older son Esau and says to him, my son, and he, they have that identification. And it all sounds very good. And you sort of say, 
It, it's too bad. Uh, and, and you feel sorry uh, that every time you reach that age or every time you go to the optometrist or the optician, uh, he says, well, we're going to have to give you a little more help. Uh, or you find yourself having difficulty uh, hearing or, or aches and pains and difficulty uh, navigating around and so forth. And it does sort of make us feel sorry for this man. Here's Isaac. He's up in years. Uh, there's one little thing we have to notice about this, incidentally. Uh, the year is around 1929 uh, B.C. Don't get it confused with the Depression years. So it's about 1929 B.C., and Isaac is about 130 years old. Remember, the life expectancy started to gradually go down, 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 down. But he was still uh, living, and they were still living to a, a ripe old age. And he's 130 years old thereabouts. And surprise of all surprises, he actually lives to be 180. So he sure messed up on that calculation. But for whatever reason, he feels the need to uh, bestow a blessing uh, upon Esau. Now, the very first thing we have to notice is in this, this soap opera of characters where we have uh, Isaac and Esau and we have Rebekah and Jacob. And in this whole play that is set before us in God's holy word is the reality here that Isaac is a cheater. And you say, wait a minute, that's not very nice to say that about this poor man that's 130 years of age and he's losing his eyesight. Isaac is a cheater because Isaac may not have known the episode where Esau sold the birthright uh, to Jacob. He did know the promise that was given that there were two nations within Rebekah and that the, the younger would end up being served by the older rather than the older being served by the younger. So right off the bat, we need to see, and this is why it's so important to involve ourselves in, in, a, in a congregation, whether it's here or someplace else, that is involved in the expositional preaching of God's word. Because if you don't know what happened in chapter 26, 25, 24, 23, then right off the bat, you really look at this and you, you would say that Isaac is the innocent party. No, he's not. He's not. He's cheating too. We all know and, and gladly concede that Jacob is the cheater. But he's not the only one. And so we have Isaac setting this up, calling his favorite son, that's a problem, calling his favorite son and having his favorite son go on this wonderful errand. And so he, he does this. He's, and we have this call my son, and he says, here I am. And Isaac in verse 2 says, behold, now I am old and do not know the day of my death. He got that part right. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver, so forth. Go out into the field, hunt some game for me. And then, of course, uh, what he's looking for next is a, a, a nice uh, gamey dish. Obviously, this man is not a vegetarian. Uh, he wants some meat with his meal. He wants the, the big meal. And so here we have this picture. Now, the other thing we have to see and recognize on this whole episode is that Esau had already sold his birthright. This was not his to do. He could go hunting all he wants, but the birthright was not to be his. He'd sold it already uh, for a bowl of lentil stew. And so here we have Esau willingly going along with the swindle. Isaac calls him. Uh, honesty would have said, Father, I have sinned. I have despised the birthright. That was a testimony, wasn't it? When, when that whole episode took place and Esau uh, has this little commentary that Moses, under the inspiration of God, adds to the episode. 
And the episode was this. Thus, Esau despised his birthright. It would have been a wonderful time to go and confess to Father, Father, I have acted foolishly, and I have sold my birthright, and I have given it to your younger son. That would have been the right thing to do. But Esau is willing to go along with what is taking place here. And so we have a picture of Esau, uh, Isaac's favorite, despising the birthright. We read that in 25, uh, verse 34, despising the birthright. He valued soup more than the birthright. He valued the trinkets of the world more than the blessing that was to be passed upon him from father to son, father to the oldest son, and then the oldest son to the oldest son, and the oldest son to the oldest son. And this was to be valued. It was to be that which was to be anticipated. It, it, it's like waiting to become a man. And, and when you're uh, a young man and you're, you're growing up and you want to follow uh, what your dad is doing and so forth, and, and some of you remember all that stuff and, and all the blood that was shed when you started shaving. And, and why do we do that sort of stuff? We do that sort of stuff because we were trying to be what we're not yet. And here was this wonderful opportunity for him to say, I've messed up. I've blown it. But he's willing to go along with the scam. And so as a result of it, we notice the request is made, verse 7, bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. See, they knew what this was about. This was not just father blessing the son. This was a, a, a benediction that is being given father to son. And God is in the equation. This is not just something here, son, and, and, but this is God's involved. And so we see the willingness of, of Isaac to break what God has stated in his word, the younger will serve the older, and it's Esau's willingness to go along with the scam. Now that's a sad household, isn't it? It's a divided household. Isaac has his favorite. Rebecca has her favorite. So we move all the way from Esau to Rebecca. Now, I have bad news, ladies. Rebecca's not going to look good. Which proves something. She's described earlier as being beautiful. But she's certainly not looking beautiful tonight. Notice how this all plays. Uh, she's pretty all right, but she's pretty sneaky. And she has her, her fingers on the pulse beat of the family. And as a result of that, you see what happened. That as this is going on, we have somebody else that's involved in the conversation. And that's Rebecca the spectator in verse 5, who conveniently is there when the whole, pl whole plan takes place. And so she's listening while Isaac is speaking to Esau. And she's got it all down pat, exactly what happens. And she immediately makes a beeline for Jacob. And so we see how this woman is conniving, how she's planned this out, how she has taken charge. She is a take-charge woman, and she is going to uh, control the situation. I talked with a gal yesterday who's training to be a firefighter. She's oriental. Oriental people are generally slight in stature, and she was slight in stature. And uh, she came up to almost my shoulder, and I said to her, and I, I didn't come across as, you know, chauvinist and all that stuff, 
I'm just Don, the friendly neighborhood pastor in to visit the lady that wants to be a firefighter at Sinclair College. And I said, you mean to tell me if my house is on fire, you're going to climb and scale on the outside of the house to the second floor, and you're going to heft me on your shoulder and carry me down to safety? And she said, yes. <laughs> and I said, I'm looking for a little more certainty than that. I want to be carried out. I don't want to be dropped, and I don't want the two of us to go down together. Well, it's one thing to have a plan. But here's a gal that has a plan that she's going to execute. I doubt very much this young fire lady-to-be is able to execute her plan to rescue me. But here is Rebecca, and she has taken complete control of the situation. She is in charge from the get-go, and she immediately calls her son Jacob, and she tells him what's going on. Listen, I was listening to this conversation, which I stole because it was not her conversation, which I stole while eavesdropping on your father who's talking to your brother. And, and this is what's going on. And now you notice something. You soon find out what kind of a man Jacob is and you find out what kind of a woman Rebecca is because as you follow this thing through, you find out that Jacob is weak and that he is a pawn. He just does exactly whatever he's told. He knows that he has no right to the birth, right? And so as a result of it, you notice what takes place. She takes charge. She tells him exactly what took place. Now, verse 8, Therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. About the family, patriarchal, a holy man of the home, leader of And here is Rebecca, willing to usurp the authority uh, of her husband. And uh, we recall, of course, where this first happened, and it happened in the garden, didn't it? Where Eve took it upon herself to engage in conversation with the serpent. And we have that fascinating verse of scripture that, that tells us as a part of the curse uh, that the woman will desire uh, to have the authority over her husband. And we see it in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. It doesn't read as smoothly in the English. She gets her son and says, this is what you're to do as I command. He gives him directions. You ladies, uh, either your, your mom was able, to, mom was able to do this. She was a wonderful cook, and she did everything without a cookbook. She just got into the kitchen. A, a man back home described my wife as a buzzsaw in the kitchen, and uh, which is kind of scary. But uh, my gram was like that. And my mom had my Graham's cookbooks long, long before my Graham stopped cooking. She'd just go in there. She just knew everything. And she was one of those ones that spoke that strange language of a pinch of this and a dash of that and all that stuff. And, and everyone else tries to do what she does, and it comes out as a flop. But she was in complete control. Well, here's the gal. She's in complete control. She has the entire recipe for facilitating her son, uh, Jacob, to steal the birthright. And as a result of it, we see that she's laying it out step by step. Verse 9, go to the flock, bring me two choice young goats from there, that I will prepare them as a savory dish. She's going to do that. She knows exactly what his taste buds are like. She knows exactly what Isaac loves to have uh, set before him. And she's taking charge. And she says, uh, this is what you're going to do. Then you shall bring it to your father so that he may eat. And he will bless you before his death. She had no idea when he was dying either. And we see how she has systematically laid out this who is in her.
Now guard the world that's out of control. I was driving to work one time years and years and years ago, and I'm driving in a place called Lutz Mountain, that off cliff embankment, and you could just see across the river miles and miles and miles away. And all of a sudden, my car was hydroplaning. If you've ever had that experience, uh, that you think that this is going on for hours, you almost have a, this, this sense of, I'm going around and around and around. I have no idea where this is going to end. And in the providence of God, uh, my car finally, it was the, the, the ice had frozen on the road. It was really bad. And my car spun off into the side of the road into the gravel. And I'm not a great singer, but I tell you, uh, maybe I wasn't singing it out loud, but inside I was thinking, praise God from whom all blessings flow. When you're behind the wheel of an automobile and it's spinning out of control, you feel vulnerable, you feel helpless, and you're downright frightened. And I was all of those things at the same time. And I was able to tell the story to my wife when I got home. It was not a story that she wants to hear repeated again and again. It's not an experience that I want to have repeated again and again. But we have this fascinating picture. It's an amazing picture that when you find yourself on the road of sin, you will find yourself out of control. We may live in a culture, and we may live in a church culture even, that will brag and say, I have free will. No, you don't. Nor do I. And we can easily fall into the worst of slavery in sin. And here's this woman, beautiful Rebecca. Remember how he looked at her and she was a delight to behold. And remember how she willingly said when the servant comes, when Abraham's servant comes and says, my master's son seeks a bride. And she's the one who willingly says, I will go with this man Speaking of the servant, I will go with this man. I will stand before this man, Isaac, a man I have never met. I will pledge my love to him. And here she is, working behind his back, orchestrating. And now all of a sudden, we see Jacob, and he flinches. I think this is a telling flinch in a very real sense. Because it's at this point that now all of a sudden he is thinking coherently. And all the what-ifs come into play. And so this is it. Now look at it in your Bibles, and you notice what takes place. Jacob answered his mother, Rebecca in verse 11, and gives this fascinating verse that you have to know what happened in the previous chapters to have an appreciation of this verse. I don't think it's in the Iwana memory verse uh, list. Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. And so he draws this picture. My father is going to know from the get-go when I go in to visit with him and seek the birthright, he's going to know right off that I am not Esau. Esau was uh, a redhead, and he was a hairy redhead. And we don't know what exactly Jacob's hair color was. I assume it was dark. But he had very little. If he was to roll up his sleeves, you would not notice very much hair on his arms at all. And he knows that. And this, in a very real sense, is an opportunity for him 
and Rebecca to slam the brakes on this facade, this fiasco, but she doesn't. He's afraid my father will feel me, and then he will know that I'm a deceiver. And he already was a deceiver because he ripped off his brother for the birthright with a bowl of soup. And all that's really going to happen is his father's going to know Jacob for what he really is. He's a cheater. And he says, he will bring a curse, or I will bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. It's at that one moment of fear that is in a very real sense, Jacob's out. Have you ever found yourself in a, a situation, a provocation to fall into sin? And God, by his Holy Spirit, intervenes. And feet that were going to go in one direction are brought to a standstill. And an about face is taken. And it's, it's that time where you basically say, I came to myself. I came to myself. I saw my sin. I saw my Savior. And I came to myself. And this is that glorious opportunity that is provided by the providence of God where all of a sudden this man Jacob is thinking and he's thinking about himself as a liar in the presence of his father, himself as a thief in the presence of his father. And, and he's seeing himself that way and he sees himself receiving the curse of the father upon him. And he valued the relationship of father, although he was closer to his mother. He values that relationship and he doesn't want the curse to come upon him. And this fascinating thing is that mother very quickly comes alongside him and in a sense says, don't worry, your curse be on me, my son, showing her utter disregard for her husband and her utter disregard for God and her utter disregard for the curse of God that she says, I'll willingly take that upon myself. That's how desperate sinners are, isn't it? I don't care what the cost is. And she, know, she almost is, in a very real sense, living out her life through her son. She so desperately wants him to get what she perceives as the best in life that she is willing to go to the wall for him by the lies, by the cheating, by the deceit. That's why I said this is the cheater family. They're cheaters. Sin came into the family and abides with the family. And we saw the lies that were told by Abraham. And we see the next generation, Isaac. And, and, and it comes to these actions and got them, speaking of the goats, brought advance. But I, I couldn't. I, it, I had a, a, a Detective Columbo moment. Because I thought it was strange. Esau's clothes would be for his mother. Now, when I got married many moons ago, I didn't say to my mom, some of my duds behind so that you'll have some place smelled. I, I, there are a lot of times where mothers don't have pleasant memories of how their son smells, particularly if he's playing football, hockey, and sorry, sorry, mom, and, and, and all of those things. But that's what it is. This woman has, she's a planner in sin. She's covered all the bases in her sin. And don't expect a sermon on Rebecca for Mother's Day, ladies. 
because if you get it, it won't be from me. And here she is. She happened to have the best garments of Esau. I thought he had his wife. I thought he had his own place to stay. And so she gets to work. She's got his clothing. She dresses up Jacob. She puts the skins. Notice how creative she is. She puts the skins of the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. And she gives him the food. And she's done her part. She's lied. She's cheated. She's bossed a son who is, is a man to be around. She's orchestrated everything absolutely perfect. That's what sin does to people. Do this. I don't want to do this. And I find myself planning for it. And the next time I'm planning further. And the next time I'm finding some obstacles in my pathway to sin. And, and I have to overcome those obstacles. And soon we find ourselves doing things that we never, ever, ever dreamt we would do. And being with people we never dreamt that we would be with. And finding ourselves surrounded by, by circumstances that in our wildest, wildest, wildest dreams we never thought we would be in or encountered by. And that's exactly what we see in the sin of this family. And how it multiplies and how it gets worse and worse and worse. And now we have this man standing at the doorway, this man Jacob. Rebecca's had the situation in hand. She's had it all planned out from the beginning. And now we have Jacob, and we see him in a very real sense as a, a compliant um, pawn who defrauds his father. For those of us that were brought up in the old days, we were, we're, we're here tonight and we remember how we were to respect mom and dad. And we remember some of the words that would come from our mother, wait till your father gets home. And there was a packing order of our homes where it was recognized that, that father, who had heavy responsibility, also had responsibility that put him in a position of headship in the home where he was to enact on behalf of God what it meant to be a godly dad, a holy man, a leader of his, his family, and leading them through this life where there are many dangers, toils, and snares. And now he's at the doorway. And we have this picture, verse 18. He came to his father... And he said, my father, here I am. Who are you, my son? Now, this is an opportunity. We talked about Esau's opportunity to confess his sin. And this is God placing in the pathway of, of, of Jacob his opportunity to come clean. We saw it in the opening verses, Isaac and Esau. We see it in the closing verses of Isaac and Jacob. The father, Esau, Isaac, old, tired, going blind. And Jacob says this, verse 19, I am Esau, your firstborn. That's a lie. I have done as you have told me. Isaac didn't tell him to do anything. He did what Rebekah told him to do. And then he says, get up, please, sit and eat my game for the purpose of you blessing me. 
And Isaac immediately is surprised. How'd this happen so fast? I'm not a hunter. I've never been a hunter. The only hunting I do is for birthdays, anniversaries, Christmas, and other little surprises that I might cook up for the girls in my house, mother and daughter. That's about the only hunting I do. I don't fish. If I don't get a fish in 23 seconds, I write it off as a lost cause and I'm gone. The last fish I caught was back in 1963. It was an eel. I said, look at the big fish I got. And my mom said, after she screamed, she told me it was an eel. That was the end of that. That was the end of my fishing career. I'm done with it. No hunting, no fishing. It takes too much time. I don't have the patience for that. They won't come when I call them. You go out in the woods, and how many of you, you hunters, how many of you go out into the woods and say, here, dear, here, dear, and they just come galloping up, kill me. It doesn't happen. I haven't got the time for that. How'd you do this so fast, son? How is it that you had such great success, son? How is it that you've come into my, my, my tent and you've got this, mmm, ah, smells good, son? How'd that happen? How'd that happen? Well, you know how it happened. I know how it happened. Uh, Rebecca got the Kate Atkins folk, uh, cookbook out and she whipped it up. And he says, what? Well, look at it. What a shocker. He's decided to include God in his sin. And he says he becomes a very staunch uh, Calvinist in his theology and the doctrine of the providence of God. And he says to him, verse 20, because the Lord, your God, caused it to happen to me. God's in this. This is God's hand. This is God's hand of blessing upon me. That's how it happened, Dad. Isn't that neat? Isn't that wonderful? God works in the mysterious way, his wonders to perform, which makes you wonder how come he was quoting that when William Cowper wrote it in the 1600s. But there he is. He's lied, and he's lied, and he's lied. And the more we sin, the bigger the lies become. And we have to lie and lie and lie until we can hardly keep track of the lies. You know, when they had that hearing on, on Bill Clinton years ago, a columnist by the name of George Will, maybe some of you know who I mean, a columnist by the name of George Will said, I'm amazed at how well he's able to keep track of his lies. Huh? The President of the United States, and George Will says, the calling card of this man is he is a phenomenal liar who is able to keep it all in order. But he wasn't that good because he got caught in more than one lie. Here's, here's Jacob, and he's lying and lying and lying, and he's hit on the real whopper when he's called God to be the one who is, is the grantor of success for him. And it's upon that confession, you notice, that Isaac said to him, please close the door and come close to me that I may feel you. And here's that other little open door that God gives, that I may know whether you are Isaac 
or not. Do you notice how God always keeps opening doors, always keeps giving us an out? When we're on the fool's highway, God is always there and he's providing for his children, providing for his people these detours, these opportunities, these Michigan lefts where you're able to make a U-turn and find yourself going in the opposite direction. And there it is right there in the passage, isn't it? I want to touch you to see whether you're Esau or not. And Jacob, we find him coming close to Isaac. I don't know about you, but when I try to read a story like this, this wonderful account that has so graphic, I try to feel what was it like to be there. And if I was Jacob, my heart would be absolutely pounding. I would have broken a sweat as I'm coming close to my dad and I'm offering him this which did not come from my hand and I'm presenting myself as a false witness to be the older son Esau. And here is the comment. And over and over and over again in the passage, we see these these opportunities. And so it tells us, Jacob came close, verse 22, to his father, And he found him and said, The voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him. And when it came right down to it, it had to do with that work that his mother did for him by making his hands appear to be hairy. And that's how he won the birthright. He did not recognize him, verse 23, his hands were hairy, so he blessed him. He blessed him. It's a tragic story. It's a tragic account. He says, are you really my son Esau? Yet another opportunity, verse 24. Are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, bring it to me. I will eat of my son's game so that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he consumed it. And then he gives the blessing. He came close, kissed him. He smelled the smell of the garments. And he said, see, the smell of my son is like the smell of the field. Remember, he was a man of the field, Esau was. Jacob was the runner of the business. He was the administrator. He was the home body. He smelled like Esau. He cooked like Esau. He felt like Esau. He's a cheater. No matter how he looks, no matter how he cooks, no matter how he smells, a cheater is a cheater is a cheater. He receives the blessing. The blessing's a wonderful thing, you know. Do you know we ask the blessing at the conclusion of each service? Now, why do we do that? Are we saying, well, it's time to close. We need to find a strategic way to close off this service and send... No, no. That is done on purpose because we want you to know as God's people that you're going with the blessing of God upon you. That's what that's about. It's not just, well, that's a neat neat way to finish the service. We don't stand at the end of the service and say, goodbye, folks, come back soon. Why? 
because we're in God's presence. We're God's people, and we've come to worship him and glorify him and, and, and honor his name, and we're to go and we're to do what the hymn writer tells us to do. We're to take the name of Jesus with us. We're going, but we're not going home alone. You might say, well, I'm going home alone. Oh, no, you're not. You have a God who is with you by his spirit, and you're never, never, never alone. And the blessing, when it came to the end of the day, not only didn't mean much to Esau, but it didn't mean much to Jacob either. The blessing is given. May the God, verse 28, now may God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. And if you follow, and we haven't time tonight obviously, but if you follow the rest of the account, you'll find out that Jacob did not enjoy the blessing of God at all. It was ill-gotten. He ends up running away from home. He never sees his mother again who pulled all the strings for him. He never sees her again. And, and it's over for him. It's tragic, isn't it? As we close, a few things were done. Three points. First, notice, we see what happens when a mother and father play favorites. You know, Margie and I have it easy. You ask me who my favorite daughter is in all of creation. Ask me who my favorite child is in the whole wide world. Ask me. And you'll get an answer. And it's a straight answer. And you ask my wife. I have to tell you, we have it easy. Because we are not a divided household. By virtue of having been blessed with only one child. Not this household. Twins. Esau. Jacob. You see, the godly man would have loved them both. And they both would have known they were loved by the godly man. And the godly mom would have loved them both. And they would have known that they were loved by a godly man. Esau knew that he was dad's favorite. Jacob knew that he was mom's favorite. And they brought disaster in the family. Whenever we play favorites, we create problems. And it leads to the demise many times of the lives of our children who are frustrated and angry at one another and oftentimes angry not just at their, the one that doesn't favor them, but angry as well at the one who favors them. That's why God gives us such a quick, clear, pointed expression of family life in Ephesians chapter 5 on how we're to be as a family in chapter 6 in the first three verses. Well, secondly, when we set, and we've alluded to this already, and I won't be long on it, but when we set our heart, our mind, our feet on a direction of disobedience, it will lead us further and further and further away from God who made us to glorify him, and it will lead us to we haven't the foggiest notion where. We don't know where we will end up when we follow a deliberate path of disobedience 
to the God who made us for himself. That's the tragedy of this passage. That's the tragedy of life. It's what we go through. It's what you go through. It's what we hear. It's what we know. And we need to be warned about that. We find ourselves committing unimaginable sins. Thirdly and finally, when God's blessing is made light of, then we end up on a pathway of bitter resentment and emptiness. You've met people and I've met people that are never happy. The church people. They've gone to church all their lives. They've gone to all the meetings. And despite all of that, being in the right place at the right time, they're hostile. They're agitated. They're most unhappy. Years ago, a gal by the name of Cass Elliott, some of you know her from the Mamas and the Papas, she sang a song that was not her original composition, but it was a fascinating song, a song because it really does give an expression to the life of many people, and it was called Awfully Glad to Be Unhappy. Huh? It's true. Some people thrive on being unhappy. And if they weren't unhappy, they wouldn't get any attention from anyone, anytime, anywhere, any place. And we put ourselves in the fool's highway when we pursue those things that will bring misery into our lives. That's what happened to Jacob. And we have to stop, but next week you'll see what happened to Esau. Because in the providence of God, as soon as this happens and the blessing is bestowed upon Jacob, who's at the door but Esau? And the tragedy of his life is ongoing as well. Well, we, we must stop at that point. But as we bow before our Lord tonight, we need to know that he knows the way through the wilderness. We're to follow him. I was asked one time in a Sunday school class, well, this is the only way they could have gotten uh, the birthright. Uh, no, uh, we as believers uh, believe in trusting in God. And God would have worked out the circumstances whereby we never fall into these arguments of, of pragmatism and situation ethics. That's right out of Joseph Fletcher from way back in the 60s. Never follow a hippie from the 60s. God would have worked it out. Would have worked it out to his honor, to his glory, to the best for Jacob, the best for Esau, the best for Isaac, the best for Rebekah. What a mess we make when we try to do God's work for him, when we try to manipulate, and that's what they did, and they live with the tragedy of that. Well, you don't need to live with the tragedy of that, nor do I need to live with the tragedy of that. Let's come before our Lord and seek his leading in our lives. Father, we come before you. We see this passage. We see how conniving we can be and Lord, we don't have to think back too far in our memory cells to pull out times and events and things that we just would rather not talk about and would hope that nobody ever finds out about. Sin lays us low. Sin leads us down a pathway of despair, despondency, destruction. 
And Lord, we pray that you would draw us to yourself this night and that we would follow after you. Your way is the best way. Your way is always the best way. And how much wiser we would be and how much more spiritually healthy we would be if we would yield ourselves to you rather than yielding to temptation. Help us to follow the Lord who loved us and gave himself for us, we pray in Jesus' name.